Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. Hello and welcome to the Run Run Live podcast. This is Chris, your host. And this is, near as I can figure, episode 3-298. Today we talk to my new BFF, Grace Kim, from the Big Apple. I met her through the ASICS New York City Marathon boondoggle that I am going on in November. And when I approached Grace, you know, I figured she would be one of those New Yorkers, those hyper New Yorker types, you know, loud, aggressive, all elbows. But she was just the opposite. She was a super nice person, super sweet. And you can see why people are attracted to her and her message. She's calm, self-effacing, but still brings that passion and that positive image and story to her audience. So I'm in the middle of a whirlwind travel binge. And I'm dropping this episode from a hotel room in Texas, which is, uh, <laughs> you're going to have to deal with the audio quality on that and the mental quality. Some of this introduction I typed on my new Samsung Droid tablet that I bought specifically for this purpose. But unfortunately, the Bluetooth keyboard that I got to go with it is strangely configured. And the shift key is a tiny little button, like a UK keyboard. And the page up arrow is where the rest of the shift key is supposed to be. And I keep missing the shift key and moving the cursor up into the middle of the sentence above. It's very strange. And there's a lock screen button, basically shut me off button, which is where the backspace key should be. And that makes for some interesting breaks in my train of thought. So if it sounds a little stilted, it's because I have to watch where I'm typing. And my reasoning is that because I spend so much time on airplanes and other places like that, the tablet will allow me to get more work done. The seats are too close together to use a laptop these days, and you can't take the laptop out until you get to cruising altitude. So the tablet will allow me to keep writing during takeoff and landing. And as soon as I learn how to type on it, without everything looking like the output of Enigma machine, it will be wonderful. It's been a weird couple of weeks for me. I've been desperately trying to figure out where my fitness and my racing ability is. And I'll write up more on that. I have a, I have a super long 3,000 word screed on my summer training and race results, but it's not ready for prime time yet. I have to do some more work on it. I'll drop that as a separate episode at some point. I met Eric up in Grand Rapids last weekend to see if I could potentially use the fitness I had built up training for the Pocatello Marathon, you know, nice flat course, nice and cool, and just get a, pick up a good time and qualify there. Uh, last chance to qualify, and it wasn't to be. I was, you know, you can talk to Eric. I was, I was sucking wind. I was, my heart rate was redlined from the start, and I just, I DNF'd at the half, not because I couldn't run anymore, just because I didn't feel like being out on the course for another two hours. I'm still trying to figure out where I am, the short story is that I'm dropping back. I'm going back to basics, which is a classic management technique, by the way. When everything goes super wrong, you stand up in front of the board and go, we have to get back to basics. So that's what I'm doing. 
I'm going to go work on my base for a while because you need that base to race well. And I just don't feel as fit as I'd like to. And I got to figure out where I am. I feel like I skipped steps and I did too much too fast in that training cycle. Probably overtrained a little bit as well. Classic overtraining. In section one, I'm going to talk about the concept of your non-negotiable tasks. And in section two, I'm going to talk about the training pyramid, which I appropriated from coach. The weather is turning up here where I live, up there where I live in New England. It's getting down into the 40s and 50s at night. It's really nice. Great sleeping. Buddy loves it. And this time of year, he comes back to life. And he wants to go out on and hit the trails with me. He's bouncing around the house, barking at everybody. He's nuts. Of all the dogs in the neighborhood from Buddy's generation, there's only three still alive. And of the other two, one's a stone-deaf Sheltie, and the other is my neighbor's black lab who can barely move. Buddy is clearly in the best physical and mental shape of all his graduating class. Uh, he's old, but he still loves to run. So it just goes to show you, folks, exercise and an active life are good for you, whether you're a person or a dog. My garden is pretty much used up. I had a nice full crop of beautiful heirloom tomatoes. When the weather started to turn, they were wonderful. These giant luscious red ones and uh, these big luscious yellow ones, really wonderful. I'm still getting some rainbow chard. Because apparently I'm the only critter in the food chain that will eat rainbow chard. I think it makes a great salad, but the, nobody else will eat it, including the worms and the, and the, and the gophers. The worms got to my kale. My kale looks like an open lattice work, totally eaten up, but I don't want to throw poison on it, not this late in the season. And everything else is dead, and the weeds are taken over, and all I gotta do now is turn it under. It's surprising how quickly the days get shorter. You need to, you, before you go out, you need to check for sunrise and sunset times, you know, before scheduling your runs. Every year I get caught out in the dark by misreading the sunset without a reflective vest or a headlamp or something. I'm working on a new project that I've called A Book a Month, and I set up a page on Facebook for it. Because it involves writing a book a month. Not a whole book or, uh, you know, not, not a classic book. Just a book. You know, finish something. And the reason I'm doing it is to force myself to organize and publish all of the content that I have lying around. I need to produce. The first one I'm doing for September outlines that 1600 base speed work program that I used to qualify for Boston when I was younger. Uh, you've heard me talk about so much. I've just got so much material. I, I have to focus on getting it written up so everyone can benefit from it. I'm super busy in all phases of my life right now, but I'm trying to be disciplined and keep all the balls in the air and do a good job and add value. I've been struggling with my Garmin 310 XT. Uh, first, the heart rate data has been in the science fiction neighborhood. It's all over the place. And I never used to care about heart rate, but then Coach made me into a heart rate trainer. And I've been getting all these strange readings that seem to suggest that I need a bypass or something. And I've been ignoring them and running, you know, running by feel and effort like I always have. Wednesday, I was out doing a long, longish zone two run. So a low effort hour and a half. And I couldn't get my heart rate down out of zone five and six. 
which is basically, you know, zone five and six is close to a 90% effort. But it doesn't make any sense. It hasn't made any sense since I bought this new watch and since I came back from the injury. The heart rate is just showing as red line, but I'm not breathing hard at all, and I'm basically jogging. It's very discouraging. So when I get to the turnaround point, about 45 minutes in, I pulled up my shirt and tightened up the, the chest strap and adjusted it, and all of a sudden now everything is cool. I'm solidly in zone two, running easy, even up the hills. So here I am, ready to go see a cardiologist, and it turns out one of my problems was my strap was poorly adjusted. And I think that watch is trying to kill me. Because the other thing is, in all the races I've run, it's been off by like a quarter mile to a half mile on all the mile splits in the wrong direction. So it's telling me I'm running faster than I actually am. So something else is going on there. Anyhow, it's a stressful time of year for me and for you as well, I'm sure. And that's what my first article is about. Just try to relax, not do so much. It's not worth making yourself unhealthy or unhappy, trying to juggle too many things. Look at all that stuff and decide what the important bits are. Focus on those. Don't worry about the rest. That's why I've decided to change jobs. Now, as you know, I've been gainfully employed as a hitman for the mafia for many years, and it's been a good gig. You know, there's a lot of travel, but the perks are good, and when I'm home, I get to spend time on my yak farm, which is very relaxing. But I decided that I need a job that's more active like landscaping or international mercenary. But I settled on a on professional pole dancer as it requires both strength and flexibility. On with the show. Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought. Non-negotiable. What's the important stuff? This time of year... I always warn people about the impending craziness and busyness ever since I have moved about in the working and living world of society. I have seen people struggling with this. It's the beginning of the school year. It's the budget cycle in business. It's the beginning of the fall sports season. Winter is coming. It manifests as overwhelm. The symptoms are when you have more things to do than you have time to do them. Where work wants 100%, even demands 100 plus percent of your time and intensity. Maybe you feel like, or it's subtly implied, that without this focus and time at work, your livelihood might be in jeopardy. You can't keep up. Your family life is piling on with schoolwork and sports, and everyone in that realm wants 100% of your attention as well. They have the same pressure and look to you for support. You're busy trying to stay afloat, and it's hard to tread water with them clinging on as well. Just barely hanging on, exhausted, and not getting anything worthwhile accomplished. Next, external commitments rain down on you from church and community and all different angles until you're just drowning in to-dos. You can't take on one more bake sale or charity car wash. In an effort to keep up, you start throwing things out of the boat. And what do you throw out of the boat? Your health and your sanity become victims discarded willy-nilly by the roadside as you push on. Then the car breaks down or someone gets sick or some surprise ambushes you, the water heater blows up in the basement. Little Jimmy 
gets sent home from school for bad behavior. This may be the straw that breaks the camel's back. What happens when you reach this critical mass? Maybe you snap and there's an incident. You yell at someone you love in anger and frustration. Maybe you start giving up the things that are personally important to you, like your workouts and your health. Maybe you just go numb, brain dead, and flail listlessly against the tide, executing poorly and providing a universal mediocrity. We've all been there. Is there a solution? Well, you could wrap yourself in Zen intentions and smile your way through the adversity, but getting run over by daily life, whether in a blissful state or not, isn't really going to help. You could become an efficiency expert and try to hack your way around and through the to-do list, but getting more stuff done in less time is really only half the battle. What you really want to do is work on the important things. But Chris, you say, all these things are important. You know, they may be important to someone, but are they really important to you? And how do you know what's important to you anyhow? Well, here's how. The first thing you need to decide is what your non-negotiables are. As you look at your to-do list, what are the things that are non-negotiable? This is very basic. Working out is one of my non-negotiables. Spending daily quality time with your family may be one of yours. For each part of your life, your health, your family, your community, your spirituality, your work, there will be non-negotiables. What are they? What should they be? Everything can't be non-negotiable. But I bet if you look at what you're doing, certain things will stand out as must-haves for you. You'll find that these things are non-negotiable because they align with your personal values as a human and a citizen of this world. You may also find that they are non-negotiable because they align with your important goals. But do you have too many goals, or not the right goals? Maybe you have too many goals, too many projects, and this is causing you a problem of what is important and what isn't. In that case, you need to search for that one thing. The one thing is that thing, above all other tasks and projects and goals that you are working on, that will change your life for the better in the greatest way. What does for the better mean to you? That comes back around to values and purpose. And now we've talked ourselves into a corner. You have your non-negotiables. You have your goals. You have your one thing. And all of these are tied to and aligned with your purpose. Guess what? Studies have shown that for most people, thing goals, and thing goals are those goals that are tied to money or cars or jewelry, they're not very compelling. Most of us are compelled to get to a place where we have enough money, but more than that is not really a motivator. The goals that really turn us on are the goals that are tied to purpose. We will actually work on purpose projects harder than those things that pay us. What that means, and why you care, is that when you look at all the things you have on your plate, you need some measuring stick to decide which ones you are going to pour your golden energy into. It won't be the ones that are based on the traditional carrot-and-stick approach, 
When you make those decisions, when you sort the stack, your purpose and values should come to the top. The ones that fall to the bottom may actually have some dire consequences tied to them. You can tell a non-purpose, non-value driven project because it will have an if-then result. If I work these extra hours, then I'll be in line for a raise. If I don't, you fill in the blank. Purpose-driven activities will be different. Those will be the ones that you want to work on because the work and the output provide intrinsic value for you. So, my friends, as you come into the busy season and overwhelm starts to creep up behind you with its foul breath, Take the time to figure out what's important. And once you do that, the rest is easy. And does this mean you don't have to work hard? Or that you don't have to do unpleasant, intensive, or mind-numbing tasks? Of course not. What it means is that you will know when you are doing these things that they align with your purpose. And you'll do them because you want to do them. Internally motivated people working with purpose go deeper and do these tasks with more ferocity. You'll begin to demonstrate that all-important grit required to get things done that support the cause or goal that you care about. You'll work through the drudgery to get to the mastery of your chosen path. And finding your path and working down it requires just as much work, but it's focused towards something that you intrinsically care about. It's wrapped around your why. What you'll find as you get older and become more interested in pursuits that align with your purpose, is that many of the purposeful things involve giving back and helping others. And this then becomes another great way to sort out the meaningful tasks and goals in your pile. Does it positively impact someone else? Or is it only for your benefit? You'll find that the purposeful things tend to fall into more altruistic categories. When you figure out and work on those tasks that are non-negotiable, it ends up helping us all. This in itself becomes a way to find and share purpose. This skill of deciding what is intrinsically important is a gift that you can pass on to others, your co-workers, your peers, and the next generation. My friends, don't let the tidal forces of overwhelm pull you under. We need you to be a healthy and productive member of our world. Look at your to-do list and sort out the non-negotiable items. Look at your goals and seek purpose. Work with grit towards mastery of your craft. Reach out and lift up others who are stumbling along their path. Do these things and we'll all be better off. And now for today's featured interview. All right, Grace, how are you this this fine morning? I guess it's still morning for us. Yes, well, actually, afternoon. Well, I'm well, thanks, Chris. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. We met this week because uh, they, the ASICs people shared your, your email with me. We e-met, and I, I, e-met. Yeah. I led the pact, and I introduced myself and tried to get everyone excited about the opportunity. I thought it was a great one and wanted to get everyone pumped up. Yeah, I was actually I'm a little mystified as to why they chose me for this, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to go with it. I'm going to ride it for what it's worth. So tell us, uh, tell us how, how did you get involved with this ASICs thing, or, or tell people what it is we're talking about. Oh, gee, well, um, 
I actually write a fitness blog. My blog is uh, leangirlsclub.com, and it's all about running and fit living and active living. I am by no means um, an athlete at all, but I, I guess I am at this point. And um, ASICS reached out to myself and a few other, I guess, influencers in the running community and asked if we wanted to run the New York City Marathon. I think a few of us have been training and um, have already worked towards it for a while, but we're part of the Editor's Challenge, and we've been asked to really share share our uh, experience and our training, and um, they'll be there with us on the big day, November 2nd. So uh, along the way, I'll be sharing my training stories and how it's going, and I'm sure Chris, you will too. And then, of course, our lovely friends at ASICS will be uh, providing us and decking us out in ASICS gear, which no one can complain about because they're great and they have some great products and they stand for some really great things and they are actually one of the official sponsors of the New York City Marathon. So very, yeah. very excited about it. Yeah, can't complain about free stuff. It's, <laughs> no, no it's, one can. Yeah, the timing's interesting though because we're only, what, a little more than, what, uh, six weeks out, seven weeks out from the race? Yeah. Right? Um, we don't so, have very much time, actually. So if they had actually said, okay, time to start training, it's too late. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, so, I've been, you know, training and doing long runs. That's not unusual for me, and I'm sure that's not the case for you as well. So it's not something that I would recommend to to anybody else at this point. No, no, to jump into a marathon like that. Although I think more and more people are doing that. They're, they're just going directly into a marathon as sort of a a life goal, a bucket list thing? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I actually had a um, friend do that several years ago before I started running marathons. Uh, she actually was a speed walker marathoner, so wasn't a runner, wasn't athletic at all. Um, it's not something that was a part of her daily life, but that was the thing that she did. She would walk around Central Park twice, and that was her training. <laughs> Again, I wouldn't recommend that to anybody else. Yeah, it's it's a long way to run still. I, you know, I notice that even when you're doing them easy and you don't care about your time, it's still a long way to run. It definitely is. Yeah, so I noticed um, from your blog that you, well, a couple of questions. First one is, what do you have a Guinness World Record for, Grace? Oh, geez. Um, I was actually part of a group. Uh, that set the world record for the most people jumping on a trampoline at once. It was actually for urban rebounding. And for those of you runners who are not familiar with urban rebounding, it's a workout that you do on the trampoline. And it's a lot of fun. And I know it sounds like, oh, you're just jumping and acting like a kid. And yes, there is an element of that. But it actually is a really great leg and core workout um, because instead of just jumping up, you're actually really focused on pushing down on the uh, the trampoline, and that's where you get that workout from. But it was a great, great time. It was here in New York City, and everyone who participated got to take home a trampoline. I didn't. I didn't have the space in my apartment. It was great seeing 300-plus people jumping up and down to loud music in the morning. And we were on Good Morning America and all these other news outlets, so it was a great time. Oh, that's great. And and you do a lot of that, right? You do a lot of these different cross-training things like CrossFit and, and all these other, you know, aerobics-type things as well, right? 
I do. Um, I enjoy it. I think one of the most important things about active living and fit, uh, fitness is that you keep it fresh and you have fun with it. As someone who never considered herself to be athletic or fit growing up, it was really important for me to find something that I was going to do in the long run and uh, just be active. Just really quick on my background and my story is I wasn't always the fittest. I was actually very overweight and it held me back. But uh, the year that I decided to start walking and running, it just really changed my life and I wanted to keep it going. And I think the most important thing is that people just do it to have fun. Um, because if it's not fun, you're not going to keep up with it. And at the end of the day, it's all about consistency and uh, moving a little bit every day. So that's why I like to try different things, um, not necessarily for me, but to show other people there are so many options out there. So if running is not for you, find something that you are passionate about and love. If you like to jump rope, do that. If you like to hop, play hopscotch all day, doesn't matter. There are so many different ways uh, to get right. there. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that's one of the things that's, um, that I like about your story is you are a a manifestation of the transformational power of uh, an active lifestyle. Yes, right? definitely so. And it's, you know, part of it is nutrition, part of it is is lifestyle, part of it's exercise, but the exercise can be a, a, a keystone habit mm-hmm. or, a, or a keystone for the rest of the stuff that you have to do to, to have that that transformation, right? Yes, and part of it is attitude and your frame of mind and positive thinking. I'm a firm believer in that, that uh, our bodies respond to how we mentally treat it as well, not just physically. So being kind to your body, I mean, eating well is really that, treating your body kindly, exercising is the same, Um, and your thoughts and attitude are a big part of it. So once I started being kinder to myself, uh, the eating and the exercising became a little easier. Yeah, that's <laughs> always a challenge. Was there an event or, you know, what happened to make you sort of take the plunge, right? Because you were, this is fairly recently ago for you that mm-hmm. you were able to take control and start being kind to, treat to your body, right? Yes. I should also clarify that my transformation didn't happen overnight. Nothing, nothing does. Nothing that big definitely does. But uh, it was years ago. I was, it's a really silly and funny story, but I love telling it. I was watching uh, The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. One of my favorite actors, Will Smith, was on promoting his latest movie, and I honestly couldn't tell you what movie he was promoting. It may have been iRobot, if you remember that years ago. But I was unhappy and unfit, but I was watching this interview, and Will Smith talked about the two things that he lives by in life. And the first thing is reading that everything that you go through is not unique to yourself. Someone else has been through it. So if you are interested in learning about something or going through something and you want to figure out how to do it or how to address it, someone else has done it already and it's in a book. So read. Reading is important and I enjoy that as well. Uh, the second thing is running. His his big mantra in life was, if you can run, you can do anything. And I just loved how he said that, honestly. You know, we we love the idea that we can do anything when we put our minds to it. So the very next day, I literally went to the gym. I couldn't run, but I started walking. 
and I started walking on the treadmill. It was probably, for those of you who are familiar with the treadmill speeds, um, I probably couldn't walk much faster than a 4.0, which is not very fast. I think I stayed around the 3.5, 4.0 range. But that summer, because I was actually still, uh, it was my last year in college, uh, I started walking and incrementally just built up and was walking slash jogging about three miles in a, in a few short months. But uh, the, tran- the real transformation really didn't happen until I started running outdoors and really pushing myself. It, it's a completely different thing, as you know, Chris, running indoors on a treadmill versus outdoors. So it's a different mental game. It's a different physical game. And, and that's really how it happened. I just started one step at a time and every day tried to do a little bit more and a little bit more. And here I am today. So did you find yourself uh, joining with others in this, you know, in this pursuit as you started to get into it? Did you did you go out and find a running club or a fitness club or that sort of thing that could show you the way? You know, it took me a few years to start running and working out with other people. I think in the beginning, I was so embarrassed at how unathletic I was and how slow I was and how just unfit I was. I was still very unsure of myself um, in the body image sort of sense. So mm. gym time was really me time. Running was really me time. And to this day, it actually very much is. But I didn't start running with people until about uh, six years ago when a coworker of mine invited me to go running with her in Central Park. I thought at that point, sure, I can do, I can run three miles on the treadmill. This is, this is going to be no big problem. I got out there. I couldn't even run a mile outside. So <laughs> uh, it was embarrassing. It was a lesson for me to kind of get over myself and that no one else really cared at that point. Um, everyone was just having a great time. And each week I, I joined them again. Sure, I was the slowest person. Um, I definitely wasn't the fittest in that group, but it really kept me going. And I love the encouraging and it's just really encouraging to run with other people and that's what I love about the running community as I'm sure you do too Um, no one's really judging me or thinking about how slow I am or how not fast I am so uh, with the help of those people and the accountability that they provided week by week I started running with them more and then that gave me the courage to try different things and different yoga classes and group fitness classes and that now I love it I love feeding off that energy but again on the other side of it running is also the me time Um, the week is crazy everyone has stressful work situations home situations like running is my way of decompressing and having my me time but I think part of it that you talked about, and this is especially true for women, is that when they first start out, they're they're so self-conscious, they're afraid to ask for help or to or to even go, you know, join with people because they think everybody's looking at them. Like you said, um, so what are some strategies that you you would recommend to to people to get over that? Oh gosh, um, I think finding first of all a good friend is really important. Um, it's really, really scary joining a random run club at your local running store or um, athletic facility. So finding a friend who uh, you already know and trust and love. Uh, the other thing was really just um, I'm a prayer, so prayer or meditation, whatever um, you need to do to kind of get in the right frame of mind. 
And uh, lastly, I just told myself, hey, go for 10 minutes. And if you don't like it after 10 minutes, you're allowed to leave. And what usually happens in those 10 minutes is that you realize it's not so bad. And you do meet someone who's nice and you do make a friend. And usually I just want to stay. But I always tell myself mentally, just go for 10 minutes and you'll be okay. I bet you've met some super interesting people uh, by doing that. I, I have. I've made some really, really great friends uh, through the running community, different bloggers, which has helped um, which has helped Lean Girls Club. So I'm grateful for that. And it's just, it's, you know, as I'm sure you know, too, it's harder to make friends as you get older. It's not like we're in grade school anymore where everybody is your friend and everyone plays together. Um, it does become more challenging when you have a family or a very active career like I do. So it's really nice to get out of the immediate circles and meet someone who I may have never encountered before. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, you were inspired by Will Smith, you know, with your story. Do you see, do you think about that when you're doing your, your blogging and that sort of thing that you're going to become potentially the spark in someone else's life? Oh gosh. Um, when I started, that was definitely not my intention, but yes, absolutely. Um, I don't think I'm a celebrity at all by Will Smith standards, and that's not the point. But if one person is inspired to move and try something different, of course, I would absolutely love that. I think especially in this very social and tech world, we're so connected. So people are very open about sharing what a certain blog post or photo or my tweet or whatever has inspired them to go go do something. And I love hearing from people all around the world about that. Um, it really makes it worthwhile. So when I do blog, I do think of all the people who are not necessarily marathoners, but are people who were just like me years ago, too scared to try something, um, but also too tired of being where they were in their circumstances. And I just want to give them that that spark and that inspiration because everyone deserves that kind of great life. They deserve to go and go out there and live live the best life that they were meant to. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people are more inspired by someone who's uh, haven't had to struggle through it themselves or is a middle of the packer, you know, than they would be by an elite athlete even or, or a famous person because, you know, it's, it's just more approachable. It's more attainable. Mm-hmm. It's a better case study for someone who's just starting. Definitely. I, I would definitely agree with you. I think people want to see the progression. Uh, I think you see it in social media when people share their Transformation Tuesday photos uh, because they see, hey, this person's just like me. If they can do it, I can do it. And that's that's what I'm here for. I know that's what you're, that's why you do your podcast and that's why you do what you do. There's so many people out there who have inspiring stories. And once you kind of start to find one, you can find so many other stories and uh, it'll it'll inspire you. It'll make you smile and cry at the same time uh, because yeah. people are pretty amazing if you let them show you. Yeah, it's, it's great karma, too, because it comes back to you. If you just focus on helping people and, like you said, liking yourself and helping people, that's it. That's all you have to do. And mm-hmm. it'll come back to you. Absolutely. I, I totally believe in that. So it's interesting that you started out, you know, just as doing nothing, and then you went to walking, and then you went to running a little bit, and now you're a, a marathoner. But it's funny because you have that physical transformation. 
you have the the sort of the the self image trans you know the mental part of that transformation where now you say well geez if I can do this I can do anything else mm-hmm. have you seen that bleed over into your real life where you 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 know you maybe are doing things you might not have thought you were capable of absolutely uh, it's an everyday thing and I should mention that the the mental challenge or the mental transformation it would probably took longer than the physical honestly. Uh, there are just still days where I feel like a fraud or like the big girl, but uh, it, it's a daily thing. But I, I know otherwise that it's not. It's really affected the way that I blog. Um, just again, being motivated and inspired to continue to do that. The little things like uh, I went to an Under Armour event last week and I wore these printed pants. Like I would have never worn printed pants years ago. <laughs> I don't want to draw attention to myself. Uh, no one likes that if they're unsure of themselves. I looked at myself and I said I would have never worn these things years ago, but uh, I did. And it was fine. It was great. Um, what else? I, yeah, I would have never gone to work out on a trampoline and set a world record, but I did that. So I try to tell myself, if it's something that you wouldn't do, normally do, and if it's something that scares you, just run towards it and do it. Um, it's all the things that are outside of our comfort zone that are going to take us to the next level and to really um, take our lives to, to the next level. So now anything that scares me, I purposely make myself do. Yeah, you you discovered a secret there, and that's what I always tell people. I say, if something scares you, there's a reason. Yeah. Right? So there's a reason there, and that's something you should look into mm-hmm. because there's probably a shortcut to becoming a better person right there. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Big, big uh, highlight, asterisk, um, loud and clear. If it scares you, run towards it and do it. Attack it. Um, make it something that you're not going to be afraid of. Right. And uh, so that's that's a great way to just all these things help you lead a more fulfilling life, which is great, right? Absolutely. And that's what this all is for me, Chris, is it's not about looking great, although that is a very good benefit is that, you know, your body transforms. But at the end of the day, for me, it's about living your life to the fullest. Uh, for me, the longest for the longest time, um, being inactive and uh, physically unfit, it kept it kept me back from from living my life the way that I really want wanted to. So that's what it is for me, and that's what I want other people to realize is that if you're tired with uh, and fed up with where you are in life, like start running, start working out. It will really give you the confidence and the the motivation and the power and the the oomph that you need uh, to move forward and to do something about it. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be running. I mean, running's not for everybody. It could be anything that you choose. Uh, just move, do something. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. So there's a certain power to motion, right? And you know this because you're in a in a job that's a creative job as well. That the the once you start doing something, the creativity comes from that. It's the same with physical. Mm-hmm. Once you start doing something, the the benefits accrue from that that kinetic. Uh, aspect of the activity. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a snowball effect um, or whatever you want to call it where the doors just open or karma or whatever it is. Um, there definitely is this momentum that builds once you start. It's all about taking the first step. Don't worry about how many 
other steps you have to go or the many miles you have to go or how many rings you have to climb. Really just worry about the step in front of you because it's scary, but it's the easiest one to take also. Um, just one step at a time. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think what I've struggled with, especially, you know, having to qualify for Boston is becoming emotionally attached to my goals. Mm-hmm. And that's that that actually pushes them away. If you do it, if you get too wrapped up in them, you need to be a bit more um, detached from those goals. And if you do that, then they come to you. Yes. Right. Um, and you get to a certain level. I don't know if you're finding this now. You get to a certain level after a while. You know, you have all these transformations. And you've taken something that used to be a chore, and now it's an adventure. And all these adventures start coming to you, and it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It really, really is. And it wasn't. It it didn't used to be fun. I absolutely hated working out and running and trying new things and getting out of my comfort zone. Um, but now it's just a very, very exciting thing. So you, you kind of get used to the burn and being uncomfortable. And on the other side of it is just this wonderful high and experience. So tell me one good story that has come to you from your uh, from your blog activity that stands out for you. I that's a very easy answer for me actually. Um, I do get a lot of emails and tweets and comments from readers, but I will never forget this one particular reader. Uh, a while back, I did a a post about topless running. Um, as someone who used to, again, used to be overweight, I am very uncomfortable with showing my midsection because my midsection is still not where I would personally like it to be, or it's definitely not uh, the figure that everyone admires in magazines or TV, and I'm okay with that. But at this particular point in life, I was dealing with the idea of like shirtless running because I thought, man, I would like to be one of those women who just ran in their sports bra and shorts. Uh, but I'm not there yet. I kept telling myself, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And one day, one morning, I just got up and decided not to put my shirt on. And I know that sounds really silly, but it was a really big step for me. I went out and ran without a shirt, and it was such a big deal. And by the way, when you run without a shirt, you definitely engage your core a lot more. Uh, it's a great, great workout if you're listening <laughs> um, because you're sucking in the entire time, hoping that nothing just <laughs> But for me, um, it wasn't merely the fact that running shirtless was this like big accomplishment. It was really the thought of not caring what other people think and really being comfortable with who I am at the very core of it. And I share that experience. And you can read that on leangirlsclub.com. But the bigger win was I actually had a reader. And while my blog is uh, geared towards women, it's clearly called Lean Girls Club, I actually had a male reader uh, reach out uh, from Michigan, and he had shared how much it had touched him um, and his life and how he hadn't had the courage yet to do it, and he hopes to do it one day. And it was one of the nicest notes I had had read uh, at that point. And then fast forward probably a year later, he wrote me and just checked in and said, hey, I I did this. Um, and I really wanted to thank you for it. So I won't ever forget him. Um, his name was Matt. And, uh, he, you know, uh, we just corresponded for that short moment. And I hope he still reads. Uh, but that was one of the most special moments. And I think it was even cooler that it was a man who was reading Lean Girls Club. So 
uh, I find I treasure that moment in my in my heart and in my daily life. And yes, if you would like to reach out to me, I'm definitely accessible on all forms of email, social media. Uh, I would love to hear from um, you and other readers. So that that was a very so, special moment. So that's a good uh, segue. We can move towards the exit here. What what are the links and the places where people can find your your con- your wonderful content? Uh, absolutely. The blog is again leangirlsclub.com. So that's lean, not mean, lean uh, girls <laughs> club. And I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at the same handles, which is leangirlsclub.com. So that's L E A N girls with an S G I R L S club C L U B. And uh, I'm available. I'm around and I'd love to hear from you. There's somebody trying to get to you right there. I heard it. <laughs> exactly. The power of social media and technology. All right. Well, well, thanks for the chat. I'm going to let you go. Hitch up your tights because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports. The training pyramid. Talking about the constituent parts of a training campaign. So Jeff, my coach from PRS Fit, he posted this really good graphic last week that visually summarized the concepts of periodicity in training. So I've redrawn the graphic here for reference. So if you're, if you're somewhere close to your computer, you can look at the graphic that goes with this piece. The basic summary of the pyramid of training is that when you are training for an event, especially training for a performance goal time at an event, it isn't all one type of activity over time. It's a logical progression of activities that build like building blocks towards your desired goal, and that makes up your training campaign. This is a helpful graphic, the pyramid, to organize the training types that get thrown at you. It can be super confusing especially for someone new to the sport, to know what to do and how much to do and when to do it. And you'll recognize some of these constituent parts of this buildup as they are different training methods that are sometimes applied exclusively to one campaign without the others, like all speed work, for example, or all long runs. And one of the reasons I like this graphic is that it also highlights at least three things that people and running magazines get wrong in their marathon training plans. The first thing most beginners get wrong is they focus on one type of training. For example, they'll only focus on more miles and longer runs. You will see some improvement by doing this, but not as much improvement as you would if you got the periodicity correct. Your benefits will quickly plateau in the single training type approach, and your peak won't be as high. The second thing I see, especially in the popular running press, is the mix-and-match approach, where they construct a campaign that smushes all the different training types together into one plan. Speed work on Monday, hills on Wednesday, maybe some fartleks on Friday, what the heck. These random little bits of this and little bits of that training campaigns confuse the stuffing out of your body it doesn't know what the heck is going on. And again, you don't get as race fit and you don't peak as well in your training if you take this approach. And the third thing people get wrong 
is the way they stack the training. There's a specific order in which to build a campaign. And depending on the type of event, what your starting fitness level is, and how much time you have, it's going to be different. It's best to build your base first and then layer the race-specific strength, speed, and skills on top of that base. This isn't to say you won't see benefit from all these training approaches. Any structured training approach is going to give you benefits. But you can get bigger, more race-specific benefits from building the training pyramid for that campaign. If you build your pyramid well, you can drive your machine to higher heights when it comes to race time. A training campaign is going to consist of build cycles. These build cycles may be three-week or two-week or some other length of cycles, and there will be a push and recover. And these cycles fit into phases or periods of the pyramid. The phases or periods might be four weeks or longer, depending on your event and what you're trying to accomplish. Each period focuses on an aspect of your training and typically is dominated by a specific training type. You stack these cycles within the periods, and you stack the periods one after another when you build your training up through the pyramid to peak for your event with the specific training required for that event. I know that's a lot, so let's look at the pyramid. At the bottom, the wide part of the pyramid is your base. This is the big part of the pyramid. You need a good base to run well, to race well. You can get away with less base for a 10K or a 5K, but when you step up into the half or the full marathon, you need a base before you start your other race-specific training. This base is built by lots of slow miles. The base is built with classic Lydiard-style low heart rate training, two to three medium to long runs a week, plus your long run, all at a zone two effort level, so on a scale of one to five, a two effort level, a one to two effort level, and this gets your body ready for the work. It causes muscular adaptations that allow you to run faster with greater economy. Depending on where you are starting at your base building phase of the pyramid, it could be weeks, could be months, could be years even. The base is where we talk about running slow to get faster. One thing that is gospel, training gospel, is the bigger the base, the higher the peak. This is where people, and by people I mean me, get in trouble. We try to skip or short the base building phase, and then we fall short later in the campaign. One of the questions you might ask is, Hey, Chris, I see you guys jumping right into the tempo and speed part of the pyramid. Isn't that cheating? How come you don't need six months of base building? Well, that's a good question. And it turns out I do need six months or whatever of base building. Everybody does. But since I've been training at a fairly high level of volume and quality for many years, I bring a big aerobic base into the training campaign. So my starting point is different. And even then, you'll see the first chunk of any campaign I do will have larger elements of aerobic base building to it. So the second block of the pyramid that we're going to build on top of that base is strength. And this is where, where you would use training techniques that build muscle strength. These can be weight training techniques like lunges and squats. These can be sprints on the track, you know, dragging the parachute. This is typically where you would have a lot of hill work. 
you're developing pure muscle strength on top of your base. And the third block in Jeff's Pyramid, if you look at the picture, is intervals and tempo work. These are the threshold runs and step-up runs that teach your body how to deal with discomfort and recover from a hard effort. So you're starting to practice race-specific skills. And the fourth block is speed work. When you get close to the race, you have your base, you have your strength, you have your general fitness, and then you can layer on some speed work to fine-tune your racing capability. And finally, at the tip of the pyramid, there's the taper. And into that event, you taper, and that allows your body to recover and gain energy for the race itself. Now, alongside the pyramid, there's some things that you're going to be doing the whole time that don't change. And those are going to be your long runs that will build slowly and consistently across all of these cycles and periods. Typically, they're going to be in two- or three-week cycles as well. Consistent through the entire campaign will also be the general core strength building and flexibility and stretching and, of course, the proper nutrition to fuel the whole thing. That's going to go on through the whole campaign. And like Coach says, any structured training plan will get you some improvement. But if you want big improvement specific to a race goal, you should design a plan that utilizes periodicity and the training pyramid. This will give you a comprehensive framework to fit all the pieces and techniques together in a complementary way. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep. But I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. Okay, my little running friends, that is it. Through the miracle of beer and sleep deprivation, we have come to the end of episode 3-298. I have to tell you, I do this because I love, I love, like Barry White, I love to write free form out into the universe. It's my art form. And like most of us old-timer running podcasters, we do it, as Nabokov said, for the trash can. We do it, and we get so much pleasure out of the creative act that we would care less if anyone ended up listening. And I don't say that to diminish you, my friends, because every once in a while I'll get one of those you-changed-my-life emails, and it gets me high. Because I've never made any money off this or, you know, gotten... I'm not going to read that next part. You can go into the notes. <laughs> I've never made anybody off of this or gotten anything out of it. But I do have an all-expense-paid junket to the New York City Marathon for basics that I'm pretty happy about. And I'll get to see Grace and all my other new BFFs. I also interviewed the ASICS coach, Andrew Castor. Yes, you may recognize that last name. He is indeed Dina Castor's husband. And we totally geeked out about marathon training and altitude training. And that's going to be a really good show for you hardcore runners. I also have three, count them, one, two, three episodes that were guest interviewed by friends of the show. And remember, I'm going to try to refresh the format in the next few shows and have as much user-generated content as I can extort from y'all. So if you have a good blog post or someone you think would shine a light on our world, give me a shout and don't be shy. Like I said, I'm in Texas. So Friday morning, I'm up at 5 a.m., but it is monsooning rain. 
which is strange for down here. So I decided to push my run out until after my morning meetings. And I didn't get out onto the road until after lunch. And it started out overcast and sprinkly, which was good, because it's pretty hot down here. But then the sun came out, like, halfway through my run, and it was like being inside a pressure cooker. It was incredibly hot and humid, and it was difficult. And my heart rate went through the roof again, and I was soaked with sweat and just trying to move. And when I'm out running in strange places, I look for trails and parks or railroad tracks, anything to get some quiet and some trees. And so I passed by this one park entrance and went in to explore a little. And Austin, this area, has been having like two weeks of unseasonably high rainfall. And it doesn't soak in, it runs off. So as I'm running through this park, some of the path is under a couple inches of flowing water from the runoff. And at one point I look down and there's a fish flopping across the trail in front of me. That's a first for me. I've never had a fish cross the trail in front of me. We had our first Groton Road Race meeting this week, and we're gearing up for another good year. That's out in April. Our next year uh, will be the 24th year, and the year after that will be the 25th year. And that's when I'm stepping aside for a new race director. It's been a privilege, and I've got a couple, another couple of years to make the event even better for our customers but this way I'll be able to spend more time pole dancing and prepping for the zombie apocalypse and comforting the yaks. Uh, Jeff, my coach, is still making his way across the country in his Miles to End Prostate Cancer program. It sucks that my coach is dying from cancer. It sucks that anyone has to die from cancer. Interesting or ironic, I reached into the pocket of my suit this week and found a card from my dad's funeral. So that was uh, the last time I had that suit coat on. Cancer is bad, and it takes people from us before they need to go. I've gotten a few more contributions for my Marine Corps Prostate Cancer Fund, and I got one from John Vaughn, and he won the Pocatello Race Bag and T-Shirt. So I'll tell you what, first one to donate another 100 bucks after this podcast, this podcast drops, will get the Grand Rapids Race Bag, and a men's large Grand Rapids last chance to BQ tech shirt. This is an awesome shirt that is a long sleeve tech shirt modeled just like the Boston Race shirts, Boston Blue and Yellow. Really nice shirt. So, so help me out there. And to take you out, since I don't have any other great thoughts, here's a haiku by Toshi Nohara. It's called Inspiration. My mind so muddled. Birds singing merrily. Back to work with a smile. Cheers. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm C-Y-K-T Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com. 
and most, if not all, of this content is posted out there. If you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when I publish a show in a beautiful HTML wrapper, you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site. You can find it there, and it also has all the links to everything and everyone that I talk to and about. Other than that, my friends, thank you for the attention. Do epic stuff, and let me know if I can help. Ciao.